I just hope that there's a bus to drive. To drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm worried. I'm very, very worried. But so Phil Knight and Adidas, listen up. <laughs> Come on. Everybody. Welcome to Art Gab. I'm Kendra. I'm Ashley. And today we have Josephine Zarkovich with us. Hello. Josephine Zarkovich is an arts writer and curator based in Oregon. She received an MA in curatorial practice from California College of the Arts and is editorial director of 60 Inch Center, an art criticism website. Her curatorial work focuses on engaging audiences and fostering critical discussions around popular culture. She currently serves as the curator of the Linfield Gallery in McMinnville and is co-director of the Portland Pataphysical Society, an alternative arts space located in Portland's Everett Station Lofts. So, Josephine, welcome to Art Gab. Thanks for having me. Well, we brought you on today because we love your work and we love you. Do you want to tell Ashley and the rest of the world what you have been doing in Oregon for the last eight years? Uh, Yeah, so we originally moved to Corvallis and my husband was the director of the art center there for two years and we moved from Oakland, California. So it was a pretty big uh, cultural shift for us. We had been living in a pretty urban environment downtown and then suddenly had a yard. Um, And uh, during our time there, I was selected as the second curator in residence at Disjecta. So I did a year of programming in uh, a pretty large uh, exhibition space, which is how we met, Mm because we were doing the festival uh, at the time. Uh, And it was an amazing opportunity for me. I had just graduated the year before from an MA in curatorial practice. And then to have this large nonprofit uh, give me the keys and let me sort of do whatever I wanted uh, was pretty exciting. So after that, uh, we ended up moving to Portland, made a lot of relationships there. And I have, for the last four years, been uh, the curator down at the Linfield Gallery, as well as running an alternative art space at the Everett Station Lofts. So I'm curious, what's your process? What kind of art do you make? Uh, So I did do my undergrad in art practice. I'm doing a lot more writing now. So um, mostly I'm curating and working with other artists. And I think it just depends on the space I'm working in. The Everett Station Lofts is a live workspace. So we live there. We have a toddler. We have dogs. Uh, So it's, it's really we're bringing in. It's a platform for people that have work that might otherwise not be shown or projects that might not otherwise exist, but we also have to accommodate sort of our lifestyle and the fact that I have to see it every morning. So I'm really making sure that it's work that I want to live with uh, and have in my life for several months at a time. Uh, And then the other place that I've been curating is the Linfield Gallery, which is uh, on a college campus in McMinnville, Oregon. And so um, when picking projects there, I'm really looking for something that's going to kind of hook the students, that there's something that could be incorporated into the curriculum of the art department, as well as uh, really thinking about exhibition practices, how I'm doing the gallery guide, how I'm doing the labels, because for a lot of these kids, this is really their first experience with exhibitions and how to present your work professionally and so I think in my house we're just like super like anything goes like 
um, really not trying to be a gallery in any sense of the word. It's more of an alternative sort of experiment versus um, the Linfield Gallery. That's, you know, it, it has a certain bar of um, almost convention. It needs to be conventional in a way because it's an example for a teaching tool. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's been cool to have, like, dual. Like, sometimes I'm opening two shows in one week, and they can just be polar opposites. That's really been fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, didn't you get your undergrad in, in printmaking or something? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So then your master's in, is in curatorial studies. And, mm -hmm. and do you feel like being an artist and being a curator, do you think there are similarities? Like, do you th where do you think they overlap? I think, yeah. I, I mean, there's, like, a million roads to the top of the mountain of becoming a curator like people come from a lot of different backgrounds but I, I do think you know and a lot of it's art history right and then you kind of go into your specialty becomes curation uh, I kind of think of like how I came there as like I understand having a practice I understand what that discipline feels like but I, I instead of becoming the athlete I decided to coach <laughs> so it feels a lot like that like and I, I think every artist's practice is really different and, like, how they get to the exhibition stage is really different. So I need to, like, be flexible and move around and accommodate, like, different types of people's process in order to make it work, but then also translate that into whatever institution I'm working with. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of creativity. Absolutely, in, yeah. Well, yeah. Nice. So I don't know, Ashley, if... I think you've been out with me on First Thursday, and we've probably stopped mm -hmm. at Josephine's Gallery before, but what was the overarching, like, theme or, or feel of the artists that you exhibited at Pataphysical Society? Well, so pataphysics is a term uh, coined by the French uh, writer, playwright, weirdo, Alfred Jerry, and so it's the science of exceptions or imaginary solutions, which I kind of think, like... Well, one way that it's described is if uh, metaphysics is to physics, pataphysics is to metaphysics, if that makes any sense. If science is about like a repeatable phenomenon, pataphysics is about that thing that can't be repeated. It's that one-off that you kind of like make happen out of nowhere. And I really feel like that's something that creatives and artists uh, excel at. We have to make sort of like miniature miracles all the time to get these sort of sublime moments, I think that's what we're always chasing, right? Mm -hmm. um, for example, like the Chris Fraser show I did at Disjecta, there was no way that should have worked. I mean, sitting in his studio in San Francisco and being like, okay, so we'll just like build out 98 sheets of drywall and we'll take two days to mud it and we only have, you know, $5,000 and it's going to work. This is going to work. It shouldn't have worked, but it worked. And I mean, I think that's kind of... Um, that was a really cool show. It was I, an amazing yeah. show. I, I think we should put pictures on our website yeah. about that. But it was like, that should not have worked. But we just all collectively, and I mean just the amount of volunteers that came through. It took two weeks to install. Biggest project I've ever done to date. And um, like, why did that work? Because I think we just all dreamed that it could. And what if it did work? I mean, mm -hmm. what, what would that be? Mm -hmm. And then it was. And it was really cool. Um, that's got to be like really satisfying. It was, yeah. Like, just to pull that off, that, I would think that'd be a really yeah. cool part of the job. 
But yeah, we, I mean, at one point, like professional contractors showed up for two days, and if they hadn't been there and done some of that build out, I mean, we would have been under underwater. It was like truly insane ambition, but um, the stars aligned, and that happened. And I think so for our space, we haven't pushed like at that point because we don't have a budget; it's all out of pocket. But. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're looking for that sort of seeking, the, the pseudoscience, the sort of some of the turn of the century sort of spiritualist ideas. Um, there's a little science fiction, there's a little wonder, and then there's a lot of just like anything goes mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your toddler earlier. Yeah. And so in the background, you could hear Oliver like running back. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I know a lot about that life, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and um, actually, it kind of connects with what we're talking about, this, like, wonder and this, um, what art can be. Mm-hmm. And, be, yeah, being in awe of, I mean, being three years old again and just, like, everything's new. And, yeah. And art could have that feeling. Like, yeah. when you when you see some really amazing art, it's like, um, yeah. It's yeah, just, no, you're always thinking that. Yeah, toddlers are my favorite people. I think they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like so good at what they're doing and they're all in right actually you know Oliver asked me on the way um, yeah. this morning um, he said where is Josephine and I said well she lives downtown but where is she <laughs> and so that's deep man I, right? <laughs> I guess that's our next question for you where are you Josephine oh I don't <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll let you know when I figure that out. <laughs> Are we all? What, what, what is Josephine? I want to be as excited as most three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Just like, they're so excited. And like, I went down there to see Oliver and he just, we were just dancing. We just did. for fun. We, <laughs> well, we, we did have this moment the other day where um, we were finishing lunch and we're downtown right by the galleries and newly just got really stressed out and was like i don't want to go look at art i don't want to go look at art and we're like we're not going to the galleries i promise but you kind of like you, the art babies they've just are, are used to like having to go to exhibitions or they can't touch anything like so young and so they like already are like it's not fun you get so stressed when i try to pick up the sculptures yeah. <laughs> You gotta bring him to the studio. Yeah, my studio, and then you get to pick up anything he wants. So, like, what's next for you? You have some big life changes coming up. Yes. So, um, I got into a PhD program for art history at Stony Brook, which is way out on Long Island. Um, so, we are currently in the process of packing everything up, and we'll be uh, moving to Queens, New York. I don't have a place to live yet, but I am optimistic it's going to work out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, you have to propose what you're going to write your dissertation on in these applications. Uh, sometimes you end up doing like a 180, but currently I'm really interested in um, sort of a history of art through the history of exhibitions and I would like to focus on late 80s, early 90s, queer spaces and exhibitions that emerged sort of during the AIDS crisis as well as um, sort of cultural war, NEA funding uh, cuts. So it was a a pretty um, dire time and just such a big upheaval upheaval in uh, arts communities. 
And um, I don't think as much has been written about that as could be. So I'm really excited to be going through some archives and doing interviews and kind of pulling together a narrative around that. Um, I don't know what that story is going to be yet, but uh, I'm really excited to dig in. If you knew, then it wouldn't be as exciting. Yeah, right. That's Um, a great time period, though. Like, especially in New York, it's going to be a really fun Thing to research, I would imagine. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of exhibitions. Nan Golden did one in 1989 in um, New York that was really focusing on the AIDS crisis. And um, she's a photographer. She did a series called Ballad of Sexual Dependence hmm. um, that's uh, kind of during that time period as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about Keith Haring during mm-hmm. that time and yeah. just like a, the group of artists in that area is mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just the statistics when you look at them. And it's really interesting talking to my students, right, who um, just have such a distance. They don't really realize that, you know, um, just how how affected people were, especially in the arts community, by um, just the the death rates were Mm -hmm. really, um, I don't have statistics with me. Yeah, well, and it your students, well, and all of us, really, I mean, how we experience the art world is mm-hmm. colored by that. Yeah. And it's hard to see exactly what, how that mm-hmm. impacted how we view art now. I mean, so. Yeah, I have a lot of questions that's about, awesome yeah. That's awesome that you're yeah. writing about and you're yeah. researching it. Yeah, that's really it's cool. cool. Yeah, I, I remember seeing, like, I would go to Queer Kids Club in high school and, like, we had a van that would park outside, you know, and I was, like, 14, 15 at the time, and they had a van that would park outside where we met, and the boys would get paid $50 to do AIDS tests. And this was like, I was mad I wasn't part of the study and I couldn't get $50, but then, like, what? That was normal. And just to have like condoms absolutely everywhere for free and not understanding that, um, like, Seattle was one of the top four cities for the epidemic, and it was like, you know, an incredible amount of, like, I want to say, more people died of AIDS in the, like, teen to early 20s than they did in Vietnam. Like, it was a, in the Seattle area. So it was a bigger effect on a population of young men than Vietnam. Hmm. And so, you don't hear about that. Yeah, and I feel like that's something we should know about. Mm. Like, we're, the three of us are closer to remembering that time period, yeah. whereas like kids now, like it's not really in the history yet. No yeah. mm-hmm. history books. So yeah, Oliver won't know a time before before that mm-hmm. yeah. impacted our society. But I do think yeah, we also like need some distance. So I think it is a like that work is. I'm not the only person that's really been like oh, it, it, like more work. There's several other people that are. I've run into that are also doing work around this time period and around queer culture. So I think it's sort of a, it's a pressing need. Um, a lot of our, our sort of leadership and writers from that, Kevin Killian just died, uh, Douglas Crump just died. So we're also um, needing to, to do this work. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations for getting in the program, Thank too. Thank you. That's very exciting. Cool. Yeah. Super exciting. You'll find a place. Yeah. I, I hear it's really, real estate in New York is no big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, e- no easy, problem. Right. Easiest place to move in the world. <laughs> I saw this, um, <laughs> side note, I saw um, this stupid show. I 
I don't watch a lot of shows. I don't watch a lot of TV. But for some reason, when I decide to, I always like watch the dumbest things. And one of them was like, um, the world's most exciting houses. And there was a guy on there in New York who converted a dumpster into a actually a really cool apartment. It was really cool. And like, as you're driving down the street, you're like, don't notice it. But then he opened it up and it was like. There's like chandeliers. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Pianos. <laughs> Grand piano. It was lovely. Um, so people are really, at least, um, I'm not saying go live in a dumpster. But yeah. I'm saying like, there's some pretty creative places there. Like, um, you'll find something. Yeah. There's like cooperatives, right? That you're yeah, we're, the, we're looking at co-ops for sure. But that's kind of a fun little hunt in itself, though. It's an adventure, yeah. We're really excited to try it out and see what it's like. And um, I'm very excited for you, Lee, because uh, you'll get to go to kindergarten in Queens. And I think just um, all of the things to see and do for kids in that area is, like, pretty exciting. Yeah. That's super fun. And the diversity. Yes, yes. Um, I think there's, like... 80 different languages spoken in the home in the population for the schools we're looking at so wow yeah that's awesome it's really cool yeah i think um i love portland but definitely uh there it can be a little homogeneous and um you know you kind of have to make some extra efforts with your kids to expose them to people and things that are not like your home um and i think those opportunities will be a lot more close at hand <laughs> so yeah that will be exciting that'll be fun sure. yeah. and you have you have ties to here so you'll yeah maybe back and forth absolutely yeah my mom and her husband are super close with Uli, and so um, we're really making it a priority to to visit um every couple months that's gonna be so much fun like i don't know just getting on a subway is just like just so fun for him too, and for you, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> nice little life change there. But so, before you leave, what do you wish for Portland? That's such a big question, right? Um, I just wrote an essay for Arts Ecology called "Arranging the Deck Chairs," which is not the most optimistic title. I mean, it comes from the phrase "arranging the deck chairs on the Titanic." If uh, you are not familiar with that. Um, folksy uh, term. Do you mind explaining that? Yeah, so I think one of the things I'm really, so the the essay is really just sort of breaking down that we've lost over seven major curatorial positions in the region in the last three years. So it's sort of making an argument for what curators do, um, what their job is, um, why it's a specialized field. I mean, I have people come up to me and and ask me if I would recommend going to a curatorial focused like MA program. They're very expensive, a lot of them. Um, we They have grown in popularity. Uh, museum studies programs have really uh, increased across the US. Um, and so we're turning out all of these curators every year and um, these positions are going away. That is a national problem and that is an international problem. And um, I, I mean, it, it, it ultimately it hurts artists because the curator's role is really in doing studio visits, um, having conversations with artists, really delving into their practice, and then through writing and exhibition making, 
presenting that in a way that the public can interface with. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's it's a totally a middle management job, right? You're working between an institution and the artist to sort of create this project. A lot of my work has been around writing grants mm-hmm. um, and working with money and budgets and making sure uh, artists get paid. I don't work on projects. What? That's a novel idea. I mean, it's weird, right? Artists get paid? Yeah. I, mean, I thought we lived off of exposure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but my dinner tonight is exposure. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. and I, I mean, good exposure, right? I got into the gig in the first place because there were things, and I mean, this is why I want to be an art historian. There are things I want to exist and there to be a record of and a reckoning with, mm-hmm. and I want to be part of our history. And mm-hmm. so I, I just wanted to have a very small little corner of the world where I get to vote on that a little bit or put my time and effort and labor into that. So mm-hmm. um, I want to write our histories for the public to consider, and I want to put ideas into the world about the work artists are doing that I am particularly... I mean, I think we were talking about the sublime or or wonder Mm -hmm. um, and really chasing them. I think when you see really amazing work, it makes you feel in this way that isn't your day-to-day feeling. And you just, I mean, you leave thinking, like, how do I get to feel that again? Like, when is the next time that's going to happen? So um, that's super important for me and sort of what has driven me towards where I'm going. Um, But the essay is really talking about the fact that, um, you know, we, we are losing those positions in this region. Uh, I think that is a very concerning trend. Especially because we're growing as a city. Yeah. We I mean, there's gaining. more money is coming in and the money is not going to the arts. And that has been a, you know, since the mid 80s has been a trend. Right. And so we, we started getting NEA cuts in the 80s and then, the re- you know, and then into the 90s. Um, really major, the biggest cut, I think, came in the early 90s, but don't quote me on that because <laughs> I don't have my fact sheet. So, I mean, your question was, what do I want for this region? Yeah, what do you wish for it? What yeah. do I wish for? I think what I wish for Portland is kind of what I wish for a lot of these sort of arts communities and urban centers. I had a similar feeling when we had the market crash in 2007, 2008, right? And um, I mean, that is part of what drove us to Oregon is we were in the Bay Area and suddenly the job market just went away and nobody was leaving their positions. We were all getting um, budget cuts, kind of jumping all over the place. But um, I mean, Dave and I really do talk about, because we're both myself and my partner work in the arts, but we came up in a time of absolute, economic crisis and so we have this scarcity belief like we are terrified when we're working in a budget or a nonprofit. it's like just like how do we keep the lights on and sometimes it, you have to take a step back and be like no like there is money mm-hmm. and we need to figure out how to get it in a different way than just like you know putting everything together with duct tape all the time have you read um who moved my cheese I haven't, but I think Dave might have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, it's all about that. Yeah. Right? It's like um, being flexible enough 
um, and aware enough to see when things are changing and yeah. be willing to change with it and finding a way to make things happen that you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't, you don't just let things happen yeah. for you. I think part of the case I'm trying to make is I, it, artists will always make art. Um, there will always be amazing, miraculous, weird projects people will make on fumes and exposure. Mm-hmm. But like we should not be putting our artistic and cultural creative destiny on the backs of arts workers and artists because they are often the most vulnerable Um if you don't have dental, you should not be responsible for upholding culture for an entire city. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I think we need a much broader, more national funding source than mm-hmm. just like making it work. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, we're a really wealthy country. We should be able to take care of our creative class. Yes, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I would like for Portland to have, uh, to be involved in that reckoning. Oh, I know what I was going to say. One of the things that I was really concerned with when we had that economic crash in 2007, eight, um, was that, you know, kids that were getting out of college then were not getting any jobs. You couldn't even get a job, you know, at a hot dog stand. That was me. I yeah. graduated college in 2008. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I jumped back into grad school and was like, just duck and cover. <laughs> like, I hope it gets better in two years. But I was really reading and I was sitting on a grant panel and it was all these creative writing pieces. And it was all of these young people talking about how hard it was. And it was. They were like sleeping on couches. They were moving back home. It was this sort of this failure to launch into adulthood that they had been promised. And I thought, like, this is sad. But uh, if you are thinking, like, I am white middle class and my parents helped me pay for college and now I can't get a job that I really felt that I deserved and you aren't thinking there are people in this country that never had that destiny, never had that opportunity that was never promised to them. And they just, like, if you aren't raising all the boats and you're only thinking about yourself, then um, it's, I, I just, I, I think that's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think we need to examine our privilege and where we stand in these communities. So I think for me, the opportunity is to say like, this system is broken. We are running on um, a idea of philanthropy that no longer exists and an idea of government funding that no longer is happening. And we're running our nonprofits and our, art programs as if this money and this system is happening and it's not. And we have to really like, frankly look at that and say, this is, you can't just get, you know, more development staff mm-hmm. and, and make this work. Like if a person could bring in as much money as you need to run your program, they should definitely not be working for you mm-hmm. because you're paying them $50,000 and giving them really like shitty healthcare. Right. So like, no. Are there any cities that are doing it? So my belief is that a lot of things that are happening in the world yeah. right now that I'm not happy with can be fixed easily if we just look to the right models, right? Yeah. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Is there is there a model for Portland that could work? Uh, Minneapolis is, and Minnesota in general, has some of the best arts funding mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. I mean, that's why, you know, 
Yeah. They have some real, walker. <laughs> walker and some really cool stuff. They just have a lot of really cool programming. Um, some of it is that sweet, sweet Target money. Mm-hmm. Um, the tar- Target has really put a lot into the arts. I mean, we have our free like Target nights for a lot of museums uh, across the country, but they, you know. We could have a Nike night. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, we could. Yeah. Well, and it kind of brings up a good question. Like, corporations could be doing more. They could like, be doing a lot more. Oh, you know what? Costco. Hey, let me yeah. just throw this out. How about Apple and Amazon actually pay taxes? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What if Apple and Amazon just paid taxes? Are you a socialist? Yes. But yeah, so I think it is, I mean, this sort of crisis is an opportunity for us to re-examine ourselves as citizens of the art community and say, like, who has never gotten stipends? Who has not been supported in institutions? And what who f- isn't paying their fair share of taxes? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I think that we can also really, like, look around and say, like, how, how do we make this more equitable mm-hmm. as a system in general instead of just saying, like, you know... Or the the funding we're missing now. It's like, well, also, like, what was the leadership we've never had? Who hasn't ever gotten to drive this bus? Because mm-hmm. that's where I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just hope that there's a bus. To drive? To drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm worried. I'm very, very worried. But. So Phil Knight and Adidas, listen up. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Well, and we do live in a weird city in that respect. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, we don't have a Target. We don't have, like, you know, we don't have... What do we... Where... We have Adidas. We have Nike. We have Intel. Yeah. We I do have, have those yeah. three. But we so, don't have a lot of those. I'm just wondering, like, what what does Target do differently? They just put more money back into the funding of art and things? Or what do they... Is, care more about... I'm just sure. wondering what they do differently. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think they... Gosh, I mean, I'm like speaking to something I like tangentially understand, yeah. but I think Target for sure it's part of their brand. Mm-hmm. They are wooing a upper, like liberal, upper middle class sort of vibe, right? So, what do you see different? You said Minneapolis. Yeah. So what's what's different there that makes it kind of thriving? Well, one of the things is that they have a huge arts tags. But um, they mm. partnered with uh, the hunting community mm. to pass that. So um, I th- want to say specifically duck hunters. Mm. Um, so it was a bill that both brought in just tons of money for the arts to be spent, but also um, protect- protecting um, wildlife, wilderness mm. areas for duck hunters. So it was a very strange partnership that they were able to work out on this bill and the bill passed so um that's really creative I yeah i totally yeah. do that here yeah no yeah. it was a it was a very i would fact check all of that but um but my understanding is it was a bill that was sort of a mix it was like a culture bill mm-hmm. our our culture so it's going to be the arts and then also um mm-hmm. our unique wildlife mm-hmm. areas that's nice because it kind of put the two communities yeah. together. And, yeah. yeah. They Duck. might not otherwise see their similarities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess you want to say goodbye, Portland. And oh, I mean, yeah. thank you. I, this is, so we've been here eight years. It, it feels like a lot longer. 
Um, and I, I mean, I have had amazing opportunities. I came here um, with, you know, having done some fellowships and, and done some independent projects, uh, but and maybe a couple of catalog essays and things, but really like Disjecta gave me the keys and like launched my career as a curator. Uh, folks took me seriously. I got to really, I had a budget. Um, we got a grant from the Andy Warhol Foundation, which was just amazing. Yeah, I'm not the same person I was when I got here. <laughs> I've just, I've learned a lot. Um, and the community has been so warm and embraced us as family here. Uh, it's, it's been really good. Well, I hope, yeah. I'm gonna miss you. <laughs> yeah, have but, fun on the yeah, next adventures yeah. for sure. I can't wait to see you, what you do next. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, take care and have an art-filled day. Thanks. <laughs>